everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Do you really need any reason to have a ring pop? I mean, why does everything have to have a reason for it, right? I mean, come on. Who doesn't love a ring pop, right? So, no, there is a reason. There is a reason. We'll get that in a second. So, um, we've been in this study of Haggai, Haggai, if you would call him that, uh, for this is the seventh week. It's only two chapters. It's a minor prophet, and this is the seventh week we've been in this study. And so we even shifted it a little bit. We shifted the gears just slightly. Uh, we called it Haggai and I, Haggai and I, talking about I and talking about you, me, what we can learn from Haggai, how we can, what we said, consider our ways, consider our ways, what the ways that we do things. And, and Haggai challenges us uh, to consider why we do what we do and the ways that we do them. And he offers us to consider a different way. And we took that and we, and then we took a, a conversation that Haggai had uh, with one particular person and his name was, anybody remember it? Zerubbabel, you guys are so good. You guys are Bible scholars in this room. You guys will all get certificates when you leave for knowing how to say Zerubbabel. Um, he, he was one conversation with a, with a, a special guy um, by the name of Zerubbabel. We're just going to call him Z uh, when I, as often as we possibly can. And so I, and just, just a full disclosure, this was supposed to be a sermon, all one sermon, all one Sunday. Uh, But I just thought the conversation that Haggai had with Zerubbabel was so good that I couldn't just, I couldn't just justify fitting it into and rushing through some things that were important that he was saying to Zerubbabel that are important for us to understand. So I said, you know, let's just, let's just break this up into three different parts so that you can retain some things so that you're not, I'm not just throwing at you, you know, this big menu. If you go to a restaurant and the menu is like 25 pages and you're like, I don't even know what to order. There's too much here. You know, you just want to leave because you're just not sure where to even begin. So I didn't want to do that to you. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted us to really just focus in on some important things um, that Haggai said to Zerubbabel. And so it says that he was the, a son of Shealtiel. He was the son of, of, of Shealtiel. And so he was, go, uh, go forward if you would, wouldn't mind, Neva. So he was the son to someone paternal. He was the son to someone paternal. In other words, we're not really sure exactly who Zerubbabel's father was, okay? And so there was a couple explanations because there's a couple references in the scripture of that he was either, you know, Padiah's father, he was the son of Padiah, or he was the son of Shealtiel, which is what we see here. We don't really know for sure, but the point really was that you and I are called to be, you and I are created to be sons and daughters of God, Sons and daughters of God. That you, you may have great family upbringing. You may have bad family upbringing. And listen, it, we, all of those things are, 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 are stuff that we always have to work through in our life, whether it's good or bad. But here's the, here's the thing. You exist, you're created for the purpose of being in the family of God. 
being in the family of God. And you can be a good dad, you can be a good granddad, but listen, you can know, you can know that you have a perfect heavenly father, a perfect heavenly father who loves you, who's for you, who's not against you. He wants to see you fulfill your purpose in this life. He wants you to know that you were made for more. You were made for more. Okay, so here's what we said. Here's where the confusion was with the father's situation. It says, the son of Jehoiakim were his sons Jeconiah and his sons Zedekiah. The sons of Jeconiah, the prisoner. So Jeconiah was a prisoner during the Babylonian captivity. That's why he was called that. Were his sons Shealtiel and, and Malchrom and Padiah, uh, Shezanar, Jeconiah, Hashemah, and you, you figure it out from there. Verse 19, the sons of Badiah were Zerubbabel and, and Shimei. Okay, so he was the son of someone paternal, okay? Now, um, here's what's interesting about that, because I want to I, I wanna focus our attention now on Jeconiah, okay? And Jeconiah. Now, Jeconiah, here's what it says about, about Jeconiah. So uh, Jehoiakim, or in other words, he, had, he went by multiple names. I know this is Old Testament Confusy stuff. Okay, how about hang hang with me. Jehoiakim, also known as Jeconiah, or also known as Coniah, was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned for three months and ten days in Jerusalem. And here's what it says about him. Okay, okay, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. That he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now. Another prophet about 60 to 80 years prior to Haggai and Zechariah, which we're going to look at in a, in a second, about 80, 60 to 80 years prior to those prophets, there was another prophet that came on the scene, and he was a major prophet, and he was also known as the weeping prophet because he, like, nobody listened to his messages at all. Like, it was sad. Like, he would show up every Sunday morning for church, and nobody showed up. You know, it was like nobody would hear. Like, if you didn't show up this morning, I would be standing here crying too. Be like, what did I do? What did I do? So Jeremiah shows up and here's what Jeremiah says. Because, because of Jeconiah or otherwise known as Coniah or Jehoiakim, he shows up and here's what he says. Here's what he says. As I live, declares the Lord, even if Coniah, same, same guy, okay, Jeconiah, you still, are you with me? Okay, come on, come on, stay with me, stay with me. The son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my hand, yet I would pull you off. So here's what he's saying. Because Jeconiah, or he, he's called here Coniah, because Coniah did evil in the sight of the Lord, he was, God described him through the prophet Jeremiah. He described him as somebody that, would, that had a, what he called a signet ring, a signet ring. Okay, on his right hand. He says, yet I'm going to pull that off. I'm going to pull that off. Now, you're saying, what is a signet ring? Signet ring, okay? A signet ring is symbolic of promise, belonging, and honor. It's symbolic of promise, belonging, and honor, okay? Are you starting to get the ring pop now? Are you starting? Okay, you're like, there it is, there it is. Now, in a similar way, in a similar way, not exactly, but in a similar way, that's sort of like our wedding ring 
that we wear if you're, if you're married. It's, okay? it's, a, it's, symbol, it's symbolism of, of prom, promise. It's symbolism of, of covenant. It's symbolism of belonging to somebody. It's symbolism of showing honor and respect, right? right? So um, you wouldn't believe, um, well, first, I'm married, okay? Uh, that's hard to believe too. So, but I am. So when, uh, and, and, and I got to give Kevin Guthrie credit for this. So when I popped the question, ring pop, thanks Kevin. If it's lame, Kevin Guthrie told me to say it, okay? So when I popped the question and gave my wife a ring, okay, she, um, she also presented me a ring um, on, our, on our wedding day, okay? Okay, and we have some of our newlywed couples here back in the room. Give them a round of applause, everybody. Right? Good to have you back. Good to have you back. Some of the guys are wearing that ring for the first time right here. Not for the first time. They've been wearing it for a couple weeks, but you know, you, you get what I'm saying. So my wife put placed on my ring finger, uh, my band, okay? And so it, it symbolized, right, promise, honor, belonging, right? It symbolizes all those things. So, so um, we, after our, our ceremony, uh, the next day, we flew out to go to Aruba. Aruba. Uh, we went to, that's where we went on our honeymoon, to Aruba. And so we can't afford to go back anymore. That was the one-shot deal. Like, we, now you have kids and, and, like, serious responsibility and who can afford to go back to there. And so we, we went to Aruba. We get there, and my wife says, Let, let's do like a tour of the island, a tour of, of, of I was like, oh, all right, I guess, all right. You know, I'm newly married. I'm, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Wherever you go, I go, hun. You know, that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, babe, I'm with you, you know, kind of thing. So we're down in the lobby and we're waiting for the, the bus, the tour bus to come and pick us up. And I'm, uh, it's in Aruba, it's sunny, it's warm, it's hot. So I'm down in the lobby. I'm, I'm putting on tanning, or not tanning, sunscreen, okay? Sunscreen. I'm putting on sunscreen, okay? And I'm, you know, SPF, you know, 50 or whatever it was, doesn't matter. I don't even know why I'm telling you these, these, these things. Details. I'm giving you details that don't matter. And so uh, I'm putting this, you know, sunscreen on, you know, and, and I, at that time, I wasn't used to wearing any kind of jewelry. I wasn't a jewelry person. I didn't have any ring, rings at all. So the, so the ring thing was new to me. As a matter of fact, I even like still, I think, have like a little small, you know, quirk or habit. And you maybe have noticed or not, but I'll stand up here sometimes and you'll see me play with my ring. I still, it's still, it's now it's a weird habit I'm trying to break and I see some of you going, yeah, I see you do it. It's really distracting. Okay, don't give me a complex. Okay, so I'm, I'm take my, my ring off and I'm, you know, putting on the sunscreen and the bus comes and my wife says, come on, let's go. We're, I said, all right, let's go. So we go on the tour and I'm in, on the tour and in the middle of it, which was a terrible tour, by the way. Never, if you ever go to Aruba, don't, don't go on the tour. Don't go on the tour. It's, it's a desert island. You don't want to be there. Okay. And so, uh, so I'm in the middle of the tour, and I look, and I realize my ring is not on my finger. And I'm like, I go, I'm like panicked now. I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm like, maybe, you know. And I realize, I said, I, I think I took my ring off in the lobby. And so now I have to tell my wife, like, 
um, I took my ring off in the lobby and I forgot to put it back on. And, you know, and so now we got to go through the rest of this tour. And, and now she's like annoyed with me because, you know, I, how dare I take the ring off? Like, why would you take the ring off? And so we get back and we, we search all around the lobby area. We ask all the workers. No one has seen it. And I, I'm certain that one of the workers there is like, no, I've never seen it. And it was right in his pocket, you know, kind of one of those deals. And so I'm, we, it was like, my wife's like, the whole rest of our honeymoon, I don't have my wedding ring. My wedding ring is gone. It's gone. Now, it, we, we were still married, right? It doesn't make you ma- not married when you don't have your wedding ring, but it was, it was important. It was significant. So now I have this wedding ring on and this thing can't even come off if I want it to. This thing is on there. Like my finger is shriveled up now because it's so tight. This thing is not coming off at all. I'm telling you. So this is exactly what the signet ring represented. It represented that there was a promise. It represented a belonging. It represented honor. And it was a big deal. It mattered. It mattered to a king. And when God said when God said about Jeconiah, when God says about Jeconiah, he says, You're, I'm removing, I'm pulling off that ring. He was removing that promise. He was removing that covenant, that covenant. As a matter of fact, here's what Jeremiah says next. Here's what he says. This is what the Lord says. Write this man down as childless. Like this is the significance. This is the ramifications of what God is saying here. He says, this is what the Lord says. Write this man down as childless, a man who will not prosper in his days. For no man among his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Now, this is major significance. This is major significance. Why? Because of what you already have learned a few weeks ago of the importance of that line and how that family tree line mattered. Let me remind you of it. That family tree was, is found in the, in, the, in the gospel of Matthew. Look at what it says in Matthew. After the de- deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, and Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. Okay, skip to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon are 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah are 14 generations. So what is, what is God saying here when he's telling Jeconiah that I have removed that signet ring from you? that you will be childless and no one from your lineage will prosper, will prosper. What they're saying, what God is saying here is this, is that I'm now putting a curse on your family tree. This has major, major ramifications, major ramifications for this. But yet Jeremiah 80 years prior says this. Here's what Jeremiah says. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. And then he says in verse 6, and this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So what's happening? God says, I'm removing the signet ring from your hand. I'm cursing your family line, which led all the way down to Jesus as our Messiah. So what does the, that, that mean for us? That means that we would be not forgiven of our sins, that we would be lost forever. But then, but then, 60 years later, here's what God says through Haggai to Zerubbabel. Here's what he says. On that day, declares the Lord of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of armies. And so what God is saying now to Zerubbabel after 60 to 80 years have gone by, God has come to Zerubbabel and said this, that you, Zerubbabel, are the signet ring of a signature promise. And what God did in that moment, and this is so important for us, God reversed the curse. God reversed the curse. That God says, listen, Jeconiah, you did evil in my sight. There are consequences for doing evil in my sight. I will remove the signet ring from your hand. It will curse your family line. But then God comes back to Zerubbabel some years later and says, I'm going to take that signet ring that I took off of your grandfather and I'm going to put it on your finger. And I'm going to take the curse that I put on your line. I'm going to stay true to my promises that I declared, the promises that I made with Abraham, the promises that I made with David, and the promises that I'm now making with you, Zerubbabel, that I will continue that line through David just as I said I would. Because the psalmist says it this way, I will not violate my covenant, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. He says, once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. In other words, I made a promise to David. I made a promise that his throne will remain forever. That a king will sit on his throne forever. And he says this in verse 36. His descendants shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. In other words, as the sun rises and as the certainty of the sun sets, his descendants shall endure forever. I am not a God who breaks promises. I am not a God who can lie. I am not a God who can't overturn curses in your life. I don't know about you, but we live, you know this, you know this. 
We live in a world that feels cursed. Right? Come on. Like, look, watch the news. Pay attention to what's going on around you. We live in a cursed world. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that it is cursed. That when the, 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 with the fall of, of, of uh, beginning of, of sin into the world, of Adam and Eve making a decision to not to believe God, that the, a curse came into this world. I mean, we experience and we, we feel it every single day. There's just something fractured. There's something broken. And that something is called sin. And the reason why we deal with things in this world, you know, like senseless acts of violence and natural disasters and diseases and, and, you know, and, and, and health issues, emotional, mental, physical, you name it. We live in a fractured, cursed world. That's what we live in. But the good news is, is that God is beginning to redeem the world. God is beginning to redeem the world. And he's doing it through you and me. The curse is being reversed, and the curse begins by being reversed with your redemption and mine and the redemption of the people that you do life with. It's the beginning of the reversing of the curse that we live in. We live in a fractured and we live in a broken world. That's the world we live in. Uh, just, just a terrible il- illustration of this. Just this week, just this week, I'm at my daughter's uh, eighth grade graduation at Geyser Middle School. I leave the graduation and I walk outside. It's a beautiful day. Sun's out, perfect temperature, Thursday morning-ish. And I get into my car and I start heading uh, to where I want, needed to go. And I started feeling an itch on the side of my mouth. And I was like itching the side of my mouth. And by the time, within, within five minutes, the whole left side, or excuse me, the whole right side of my face is swollen. Oh, no. I have no idea. I have no idea. Like I didn't feel anything bite me. Like, I don't know if it was just some sort of like weird germ that was flying in the air and it, you know, got into my mouth. I have no idea. But all I know is within 10 minutes, the half of the side of my face is swollen, right? It's like, what is that? It's just, we live in a fractured world. We all experience these things on a macro level and on a micro level. We all experience these things. Here's what Paul says about it. Here's what he says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So the curse of the law is the law, what does the law do? The law reveals our sin. That's the point of the law. The point of the law was to reveal sin. The law, God, there was 600 and some laws that God has, you know, set up and established and said, I'm holy, you're not, these are my rules, you follow them. They couldn't do it. The reason why they couldn't do it is because they were, they were too hard. It was too, God is too holy. He couldn't, you couldn't, and so the point was, the point was, is to remind us that we are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. It reveals our sins. It reveals our sins. 
It was all part of the preparation that led to Jesus. Why? Because for the laws to be and for your sins to be forgiven, especially in the Old Covenant, or specifically in the Old Covenant, there needed to be a mediator. There needed to be somebody that interceded for God for you. And that's what Jesus came to do. And so Paul's saying that God, that through, through Christ Jesus, redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus came, he lived the perfect, sinless life, and he took on our sin, and he took on our shame, and he took on our brokenness, and he took on the curse that is on every single one of us, and he paid the debt of that sin. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became the curse for you and me. He says, for it is written, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. He was quoting from Deuteronomy. What, what, the, what, what would happen was is in, the, in the old covenant with the nation of Israel that anyone who shamefully, shamefully broke the law of God, they were stoned to death. This is the old covenant that God had with his people. They, were sh- they, they broke the law of God. They, they were stoned to death. And then, they, then to show their humiliation or to, show, and, and to expose them of their sin, they would, be, they would be hung on a tree. They would be hung on a tree. And it would be an exhibition for those to say, I don't want to break God's laws. I don't want to break God's laws because I don't want to be stoned and I don't, certainly don't want my dead body to be hung on a tree. This is what he's referring to. Jesus took our shame. Jesus took our brokenness and he became the curse for us. And he was hung alive on a Roman wooden cross in order, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So Jesus said, They can't, they're not good enough. They're not righteous enough. They're not holy enough. They are cursed. And so I'm gonna become that curse for them. I'm gonna take on their unrighteousness in exchange for my righteousness by hanging on a tree so that so that you and I can have the blessings of Abraham. And the blessings of Abraham was a promise that God made to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham was, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna bless those who bless you. And I'm gonna bless all nations of the world through your seed. That was the promise of Abraham. And the promise of Abraham that he had no idea and couldn't even comprehend was something that we can now comprehend. And that is the Spirit of God in us through faith. 
the power of the Spirit of God in you by faith. It's the power of the Spirit that reverses any curses. It's the power of the Spirit that reverses any curses. So, I mentioned Zechariah before. Zechariah was a contemporary prophet with Haggai. And Zechariah had a message for Zerubbabel, but I believe it's also a message for you. When it comes to understanding the power of the Spirit of God in you, that makes you understand that you were made for more. That God had a plan to take your curse, your sin, your shame, your brokenness, and to redeem that. And he's starting the redemption plan, and he's starting it through us. Ultimately, one day, he will fully redeem this broken world. All things will become new. All things will be made new again. New heaven and a new earth. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more frustration, no more anxiety. You name it, all of it will be finished. It will be finished. But God is beginning the process of reversing the curse through you and I. And he's doing that by putting his spirit, this power of the spirit inside of you, that you and I are the temple of a living God. That's what he's doing. And that will begin to reverse any of the curses that you feel like you personally have. You personally have. Let me give you an example of that. Zechariah, here's what he t- says to Zerubbabel. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not, this is important, not by my might, nor by my power. Are you hear me? Not by my might. It's not by your might. It's not by your power, but by my spirit, right? Come on, everybody. Are you with me? It's by his spirit. Here's Here's what he's saying next. Verse seven. What are you, you great mountain? What are you? You great mountain. Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. Before Zerubbabel, you're, you're, what, you stand in front of this great mountain. But before, one day, because of the, not by my power, not by my might, but by the power of the Spirit of God, it's in the business of reversing curses. He says, it will become a mound hill. It will become an ant hill for you. And he will bring out the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. So for us, it can say this. What are you, you great sin? Right? For us, with the Spirit of God, we can say this, this mountain that's before us. This thing of sin that we all face and we all deal with, and it looks, this mountain looks insurmountable. Like, like it's too big. I, I can't climb it. I, I, I'm not going to be able to get to the other side of it. That, that God is saying through Zerubbabel, 
to you and I. You, with the power of the Spirit, you're going to stand before this great mountain called sin. And it can, for you, by the power of the Spirit, can become just a plain. Or, maybe for you, it's, what are you, you great death? Isn't this good news? Death was swallowed up in victory. If you have the Spirit of God in you, the power of the Spirit of God, you don't die, you just fall asleep. And you wake up in eternity. Death is finished. The sting of death is done. The grave swallowed it up through the victory of Jesus. What seems like this great mountain set before us. God's saying through the power of the Spirit, it's like, it's nothing. It's nothing anymore. What about this one? What are you, you great? Addiction. Maybe you're in the room and you feel like, I just can't keep, I can't have victory over this. I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm battling, I'm working through it, I'm trying to get help, I'm trying to seek counsel, I'm trying to, you know, set parameters in place, but I, it's just like, I just can't do it. It's just this great mountain. And, And God's saying to you, By the power of the Holy Spirit of God, he can reverse that curse for you. And it feels like a curse. And every day you wake up and it doesn't go away. You just keep working through it and battling and trying to honor God with your life. And and God wants you to know it's not by your might. And it's not by your power. That God, just like God did, with Zerubbabel, he's putting a signet ring on your finger and saying that is a signature of promise, of belonging, and of honor, and ownership, and authority over anything that you face, no matter how big the mountain. No matter how big the mountain. Let me, let, let's keep going. What are you, you great guilt? Right? Keep, let's keep going. What are you, you great pride? What are you, you great temptation? Right? What are you, you great anxiety? Come on, anybody? Anybody? Is it just me that feels like we have a mountain in front of us? And God's going, come on. You have the power of the Spirit of God in you. No matter how big your mountain, the power of God in and through you, because you are made for more. You are made for more. And I've got it. I've got it over sin. I've got it over death. I've got it over pride. I've got it over temptation. I've got it over anxiety. I've got it over greed. What are you, you great greed? What are you? What are you, you great grief? Right? Anybody feel that loss, that pain, the hurt? Was it planned? Just happened? You can't seem to get over it, work through it. It's just always nagging. It's always there. I don't know, maybe for you, it's what are you, you great discouragement? Maybe it's for you, what are you, you great health challenge, right? 
What, maybe that's for you. You're just working through things. It just, every day it just seems to be a struggle. And God's going, listen, this is what I want you to do. It, it feels like a mountain. But by the power of God, it's the power of the Spirit of God that reverses curses. And you can stand, just like it says in verse 7, what are you, you great? And you fill in the blank for whatever it is that you feel like is a mountain that you're standing in front of. Because before King Jesus, you will become a plain. And he will bring out the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. God will give you the grace that you need, the strength to endure it, the power of the work of God in and through you as you stand before those mountains with King Jesus with you, it will become a plane. It will become a plane. So, just like Zerubbabel, that God put him in, gave him the responsibility of handling the rebuilding of the temple. Here's what he says, and this is, and I, here's what he says about it. He says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will finish it. it he's saying, he laid the foundation and Zerubbabel his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. This is a verse. This is a verse that is so important for all of us, especially when we have this mountain that we face in front of us. And we think, how is this mountain going to become like a plain? How is this mountain going to become like an anthill? And here's what Paul says. This is the verse for us. He says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he, Jesus, who has began a good work among you, will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, it's the power of the Spirit that reverses curses. And it's the power of the Spirit that can give you the confidence, that give you the confidence that God is not done with you. And he has begun a good work in you. And he will, just like Zerubbabel, lay the foundation of the temple and he will see it finished. Jesus has laid the foundation of a life that is made for more, and he is in the business of seeing it complete in and through you. He's not done with you. And so you feel like, I've got this great mountain. God's going, you got the power. It's not your might. It's not your strength. It's my power that you will be able to conquer that great mountain. Amen. He's begun a good work. He's going to see you through it. He's begun a good work. He's going to see you through it. He's not done with us. 
Anybody encouraged by that at all? He's not done with you. So that we don't bury the lead, right? For who? Zechariah 4.10. For who has shown contempt for the Daves of the small things? In other words, you got this mountain. And God says, by my power, it will become a plain. And how that happens is, it's by my power, it's not yours. I've begun a good work in you and I'm not done yet. But it starts with us, just like climbing a mountain. You know what it takes to climb a mountain? One small step at a time, right? It's one small step at a time. That's it. So for you, what is your mountain? I don't know. I know what mine is. And by the power of the Spirit, by the confidence that I have that God is in the work in my life and wants for me to realize that he made me for more, I'm going to take one small step at a time. Why? Oh, I don't know. Because it's the small things that no one sees that results in the big big things everyone needs. Aren't you glad? Anybody? Anybody glad that God reverses curses? Anybody? You, you, you were made for more. It takes small things, small things every single day small things. And that hill, that mountain, excuse me, (laughs) just a plane. One day, just a plane. God's working. God's working. God's working. Your mountain, your mountain is not too big for your God, right? It's not too big for your God. Father, Oh. as we try to navigate through the amazing, intricate, complicated detail of your story and your plan and your covenants and your promises. I just pray, God, we didn't get lost in the weeds of all that, but just understand that you're sovereign in all of that. There's a lot of things we don't understand and we, we don't need to understand. We just, we just trust you. We trust in your ways. We trust in your plans. We trust that you know what's best and we are confident that just as you've begun a good work, that you're, gonna do, you're doing a good work in us. And it's not by our might, God. It's not by our strength, God. It's not by our power, God. It's by yours. It's by yours. And we want to take just the small steps. We just want to take the small steps every single day 
as we begin to realize and to see that the mountain that, is, that we face, the large things that we face in front of us, that one day we'll see and we'll recognize they're just, a, they're just an anthill. They're just a plain. And it wasn't anything to do with us. It was everything that had to do with you. That you're a God who reverses the curses. And God, we feel it. We experience it. We live it. We understand it. And God, we long for the day, we long for the day that you finish the work, the redemption plan. You finish this work on this earth as it was cursed by sin.